we have been thinking a bit about vision, uh, and I hope that you've enjoyed uh, thinking about that. I really have. And tonight we're going to be beginning a brand new series, uh, and it's a series that we're going to be calling B. And uh, we're going to be taking some time to look at the letter uh, in the Bible from James. Uh, And James is a really exciting letter for us to read because it's very, very practical. It's really all about how we can be the people that God has called us to be. You know, there's a fantastic verse at the beginning of James that says, Do not merely be hearers of the word. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to come together and look at this piece of scripture and think about how we can actually be the word together here in East London. Uh, And it is a great privilege to be able to welcome to the 6pm service, John Brodie Levinson, who is going to be starting off our series telling us all about James. Thanks, Phil. Good evening. For those that don't know me, um, as Phil said, my name's John. I'm part of the 11 o'clock service. Um, We actually started out in the evening service seven years ago. Um, My wife and I used to live in Oxford, and my wife had a dream. And in that dream, she saw a street name in London. And so we stuck it into Google Maps, and we thought, that looks like a nice street. We will live there. And so we moved from Oxford, which is about three hours uh, west of London, and we moved to London, and we found this church, and we came in the evening, it was just Krista and I, and seven years later, we now have two kids. Um, Krista now works for the church part-time, and, um, and, and we absolutely love it here, so um, glad that you could be with us um, this evening. We're looking at uh, the book of James, so why don't we have a find uh, of that letter in our Bibles? If you turn to page 1147 in your Bible, I'm just going to read the first uh, verse. So that's page 1147. It's probably in the wrong place, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, 1147. I'm just going to read verse 1 which says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered amongst the nations, greetings. And uh, we'll end there. Um, In a minute, you'll see a picture of Action Man. Um, Do you have Action Man in in, in Denmark? Do you have Action Man? You do have Action Man. Okay, yes. Action Man. We're looking at this series, B, because faith works. Um, and so we're looking at this idea of faith in action. What does it mean uh, to live out this life as a Christian? Uh, we've heard it said that actions speak louder than words. And James is very much in the vein of Action Man, this action hero. Here he is um, on the screen with us this evening. Um, we're going to talk about three things. Uh, The first thing is, why does James have a bad reputation? I don't know if you know this, but James has had a bit of a bad rep over the years. We're going to look at why James has a bit of a bad rep. Uh, We're then going to look at who is this James character anyway, and then we're going to look specifically at his letter and uh, what we can learn from him. Okay, so let me pray for us, and uh, then we'll go into his reputation, the man himself, and then what we can learn from his letter. Father God, we thank you uh, for your words, and we thank you for your Bible, which is so rich and so full of these great characters. Thank you that we can learn from James, the great pillar of the early church. 
Um, help us to hear your words tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So why does James have a bad reputation? If you go to the next slide, I wonder if anybody knows who said this quote. Martin Luther, that's right. Who said that? Chris, the man at the back. Uh, Therefore, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw uh, compared to these others, compared with others, for it is nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Um, I don't know if you've had your homework or uh, any of your essays or work marked, uh, but I wouldn't like one of my essays to be described as an epistle of straw. Um, It's probably not a good thing, possibly a C minus. You know, it's not a good uh, kind of uh, review that you'd be hoping for. But this is what Martin Luther, a great person of the church, um, thought about it. Actually, this document was controversial before Martin Luther. In the early canon, the early Bible, the book of James was sometimes included, sometimes not included. It was later then finally was properly included and has been in ever since the third century. James, in this letter that we read, isn't really concerned about how people come to faith, which is why it's a little bit different from some of the other books in the New Testament, but more about what people do to live out their faith. What does faith in action look like? In fact, if you compare the book of James to other books in the New Testament, it's quite easy to see why they look very different. So in the book of James, he talks about faith, and when he talks about the word faith, it's usually in a negative context. And when he talks about works, he talks about it in a positive context. Whereas if you look at someone like Paul's letters, then he talks about faith in the positive context and talks about works in the negative context. So it's no surprise that people kind of saw them as being quite different and why and how do they fit together. In fact, in the book of James, there's something like 40 imperatives, mandates of how to live, which is quite different from some other books in the Bible. So it's heavily focused on actions, on doing, on works. Luther, of course, in his context, was speaking into a time of church history where they'd forgotten about grace and so it's no wonder when Luther came to James's book, which was talking a lot about works, that actually he thought this wasn't helpful in his context. And in fact, certain things, uh, certain accounts talk of Luther ripping out the book of James from his Bible, which is quite dramatic. Uh, apparently my brother also did this at one point in his life. Uh, but anyway, that's a different, different matter. Um, Luther, for interest and for a balance, actually later retracted his comments. So Luther actually later said, actually, the book of James is, is okay. But that's a different thing. Uh, in James 2, it says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. A bit like the uh, growth shelter that we're talking about. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now, James, just to be clear, isn't saying, just do better. 
He's not only focused on works. Just do more, do better. Faith and grace is irrelevant. Just do better. That isn't what he's saying at all. We all know that actually if we want to live better lives, we need to be transformed from the inside out. Just trying to do better always fails. We need genuine internal transformation. And James agrees with that. But all he's saying is, if God's changed you on the inside, then you have to live differently on the outside. It just follows. One follows the other. If Jesus has transformed us, then James says we act, behave, and live differently. So as we go through the series, be warned. The series will challenge us on how to live and be differently. But it may also challenge us about the internals. If we're not living and behaving differently, have we really been transformed by Jesus? Are we allowing Jesus to transform us from the inside out? So James is a little bit controversial. You've heard that it might sound a little bit out of whack with other parts of the Bible, I've even told you that Luther ripped it out of his Bible and called it uh, an epistle of straw. You've told me that certain people didn't include it in the Bible for a while. So why should we listen to him and who was this James character anyway? So I've got some fast facts to help us to understand who this guy James uh, was. James was most likely the brother of Jesus. I don't know if any of you have brothers. Um, I've got a brother. He's on the screen right now. There he is. His middle name's James. But anyway, that's another interesting, fun fact. Um, so, um, but, but yeah, James was likely the brother of Jesus. There's one other candidate, but he probably died too soon. Um, and even if you actually kind of read the book of James in the context of, of Acts, where it talks about the brother of Jesus being James, you can hear the same voice and tone. So it's highly likely uh, that, that James was the brother of Jesus. He's probably 45 to 50 when he wrote this book, so he's quite a mature guy. He is Jesus' younger brother, but he's the oldest of his younger brothers. And one of his other brothers is called Jude, who also has a book in the Bible. So it's a bit of a family affair in terms of people that have written things, uh, which is nice. Uh, James was also uh, murdered a bit like Jesus by the Jews. He was stoned, though. That was one of the differences uh, between them. But we also know something about his journey, not just facts, but something about his story. We know that James didn't always believe that Jesus was the Christ. It might be quite difficult to believe that your brother was the Christ, but he certainly didn't. And it says in John 7, 5, that even his brothers didn't believe in him. We also know that Jesus appeared to James post-resurrection, and we know that James went on to lead the early church uh, with Peter, and there's numerous references to this in the New Testament. James is referred to alongside Peter and John by Paul as esteemed pillars. So he ends up being one of the esteemed pillars in the early church. Uh, We also know that James was deeply impacted by the Sermon on the Mount, because a lot of the ideas in James are taken from the Sermon on the Mount. So we know that that really deeply impacted him. But I want to take some creative license, if that's okay with you, um, this evening. Um, I think it's always good to try and imagine these characters as if they were living today. What would they be like? If we were to meet James, what sort of character would he be like? What would he wear? Um, uh, How would he interact with other people? And how would we feel about him? What would their tone be like? Now, James, in my opinion, is a measured guy, a steady guy, a balanced guy. James is a good guy, a trusted guy. He's the guy you go to, 
when you need balanced advice. He's a statesman of the church. When new ideas come up, James is the guy to remind you of your heritage. This is where we've come from, says James. But he won't stand in the way of new ideas. He might be a little bit difficult, a bit stoical, possibly a stickler. Some people might call him a fuddy-duddy. I don't know if that translates particularly well. Um, but you might think of it as a bit, it, it, kind of the old guard. Not necessarily old, but just kind of uh, traditional in, in how he thinks about things. He's somebody that likes things which are tried and tested rather than new ideas. Now, if James were asked to paint a rabbit, per se, this is the rabbit that James might paint. Very detailed, very lifelike, very specifically a rabbit. If you compare this with someone like Peter Rabbit or the character of Rabbit or uh, the, the ultimate rabbit, this isn't what James would be painting. He'd be painting a literal rabbit as close to the, the literal thing that he could get. That is what James would be like. He would have an observant trait, if you think about it from a personality standpoint, uh, focusing on the actual things of the world and the things happening around them. He would want to see things, touch things, feel things, experience things. He wouldn't like theories and possibilities. They want to keep their feet grounded and focus on the present rather than wondering why or when something might happen. Consequently, people like this uh, are better at dealing with facts, tools, and concrete objects as opposed to brainstorming. They would hate to brainstorm about possibilities and future events, handling abstract theories and exploring fantasy scenarios. They would just hate this. And they probably weren't very good at multitasking. Anyway, that's... Maybe creative license has gone too far. This is my idea of who James is, and it's really interesting. When you read the letter a few times through, you start to get a feel for some of these character traits. So what evidence do I have for some of these ideas that I've been sharing? Well, the first thing is that James's letter, if indeed you can call it a letter, is a bit funny. So at the beginning, he says greetings, but at the end, he doesn't say goodbye. I don't know if you've ever written a letter to somebody, but usually at the end of a letter, you usually say... See you later, love and kisses, John. If your name is John, you put that. Right? And if you go to Paul's letters, he always says, love and kisses, Steve says hello, so does Bob, so does Susan, Paul. Right? That's, that's how he ends his letters. But James doesn't, he just ends at the end of it. I mean, you can read it for yourself, but he just ends. Um, Jude, who's his brother, also is a bit weird on his ending of his book, so maybe it's a family thing. But they don't really end their letters like Paul, who's kind of like new wave and quite, um, anyway, a bit like that. Uh, another example, if you look in Acts uh, 15, um, you read the story of where um, uh, Paul has is, is, is been out and he's been seeing non-Jews become Christians. And uh, the question's been raised is that should these non-Jewish Christians do the things of the, the Jewish people? So should they be circumcised and should they follow the old traditional laws? And so Paul comes back to Jerusalem to see the esteemed pillars of the church, one of which is James, to ask uh, his opinion. James then speaks, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, saying what, you wonder? Telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. I mean, it wouldn't be the first four things I would think to, to, to advise, but, but this, is, this is James' advice. 
they agree to send a letter, and this is the letter they agree to send immediately afterwards. To the gentle believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. Good. Start with the greetings. He does end, actually, this letter, so that's okay. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization. Very naughty. And disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by the word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat strangled of animals, from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And that's it. Just quite... Anyway. You've got to think about the character of a person that might write a letter like that. But anyway, that's just... It's quite interesting. Um, in Galatians 2, we also hear something of this kind of character coming out. Um, Paul, again, recounts the telling of uh, an encounter he had with the Jerusalem church. Paul writes this. Uh, For God, who is work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my, Paul's, ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And you learn later on that uh, when certain men came from James, Peter then no longer ate with the Gentiles, but then you know, kept himself to himself and, and, and kept with the, with the Jewish people. Um, and again, it's not just before certain men came from Jerusalem, it's before certain men came from James. And you get this interesting kind of tension that you pick up between Paul and James. James, maybe, who was a little bit more on the change curve, backwards on the change curve, than some of the other guys. Now, James may, rightly or wrongly, be thought of as the old guard, and maybe that's not quite fair, because he did embrace um, the non-Jews. Maybe it's better to think of James the measured. James the just is how he's most commonly referred to. James, I want to see, taste, and touch. Probably a bit of a skeptic. Uh, Should give us all confidence that when Jesus claims to be the Messiah, somebody as skeptical or as pragmatic and practical as James ended up believing in him. Not just going gooey-eyed and going, oh, this would be lovely if my brother was the Messiah, oh, and following him off somewhere, but somebody who probably needed evidence. So, we've heard that James's letter was a bit controversial. We've learned that James possibly was a bit of a fuddy-duddy in terms of how he uh, went about things, very pragmatic, practical, tried and tested. So, what can we learn from his letter, and what can we learn from him? So his letter was probably the earliest of the New Testament writings. So probably it should go Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Acts, James. So the fact it's later in our Bibles is a bit misleading in terms of where it fits chronologically. But if nothing else, it gives us a really interesting insight into life really early in the church, before Paul's mission to the Gentiles, which is why probably he's only writing to the 12 tribes scattered, because there probably weren't anybody else to write to. 
The second thing we learn is that actually there's not a lot of original thoughts. Um, James, practical, tried and tested, takes a lot of his ideas from Jesus, a very good place to take lots of your ideas from. In fact, he takes 34 ideas directly lifted from Jesus. So when you read James, you're actually reading Jesus' words very pragmatically. There are 34 direct ideas and direct quotes that are being lifted from uh, Jesus and from the Gospels. There's ideas of joy in persecution, blessings for perseverance under trial, the poor to inherit the kingdom, love your neighbor as yourself, not breaking the least commandments, the peacemakers being blessed by God and not judging others. There are 34, it's just a few references, direct quotes that he takes from the Gospels. So what will we learn over the next few weeks? And this is just a kind of a, a bit of an intro into James. And uh, my hope is that we, um, uh, James becomes 3D. It's very easy for these Bible characters to become 2D and it's just a name and he's got a letter. Um, but my hope is that James becomes 3D. And, and as we hear him, we're sitting at the feet of somebody, uh, a statesman in the early church giving us his wisdom and his ideas and we can sit at his feet over the next eight, nine weeks and hear what he has to say and what he's learnt in his years and his life growing up with Jesus in the household and with the early church. We get to see faith in action. The second thing we will see is tried and tested ideas. We won't see, um, oh, I've got a new idea. I'm just going to try this out with you guys and pencil in his letter. This is tried and, and tested ideas. So when he talks about the poor, when he talks about our mouth and how to speak, how to engage with people, these are things that James would have tried and tested and seen work that he's passing on to us. He will stop us making silly mistakes and ensure that we're being grounded. And finally, James' inclusion in God's Word reminds me there is room for us all, uh, fuddy-duddies and new waivers. James was probably the practical, pragmatic, measured, maybe seen slightly as being outdated, the old guard, the esteemed statesman of the church. And you may feel like that in your church, or you might feel like that in your work. Um, and if you do feel like that, I want to say that actually the old guard is incredibly valuable. We need people who have been there, tried and tested. We need those people so that when we've got our new ideas, actually they keep us tethered to the old and to the real world. As Paul was going out and uh, seeing amazing things happen with the Gentiles, James reminds him, are you still considering the poor? And that's a good sound for us to hear. Are we still considering the poor and the needy? If you are like James, change does happen. And like James, do embrace it. Uh, and my advice is, and my challenge is, to try and embrace it with a yes and, not a yes but. Uh, yes, I love that new idea, and maybe this is how we could tether it to the old, rather than yes, and try and shut it down. If you're part of the new wave, which I imagine many of us in this room may well be, please don't be frustrated with the old fuddy-duddies and the pace of change. Don't despise their wisdom. They're not perfect, but they are wise and they are experienced. They are tethered to the real world, and there's nothing wrong we've tried and tested. In some sense, we're all the old guard, and we have to recognize that. In the world, uh, and uh, when I go to work tomorrow, if I talk about remembering the poor and loving your neighbor as yourself, and blessed are the peacemakers, I'm sure they'll all find that to be quite an old fuddy-duddy type um, characteristic. 
uh, being married to what, but one wife and all these sorts of things, right? The, you know, these, these ideas the world might seem as being slightly strange. But we're all valued here, and we're valuable. Our practical faith in action is what people will see and what I hope will transform the communities in which we live. So as I draw to a close, I just wonder whether we want to gather into groups of maybe two and three, just for uh, two, three minutes, really quick. And uh, what I'd like us to do is just share a story of where uh, maybe somebody um, has given you some advice or some wisdom that maybe you thought was a bit of, a, of the old guard, that you thought, oh, they're a bit past it. But actually, their advice was incredibly valuable to you at that particular moment in time. Okay? So we're going to turn to the person next to you, uh, gather into small groups, maybe you know, two or three people, and just share a story where somebody maybe has, has given you some wisdom when they're from the old guard, and actually it was far more valuable than you first gave it credit for.